Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is sponsored by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, a GP, and today I welcome Dr Rosalie Stevens to talk to us about immune checkpoint inhibitors, a new cancer treatment, and specifically Keytruda and melanoma use. Rosalie is a medical oncologist specialising in the treatment of patients with melanoma, breast and gynaecological cancers. Rosalie works at Auckland Hospital and is also at the New Zealand Melanoma Unit in Takapuna. She is a trustee on the board of the New Zealand Melanoma Group and the New Zealand Gynaecological Cancer Group. Welcome Rosalie. So Rosalie, I wonder if we could just start by talking about these, this new class of drugs. Which ones are available in New Zealand and what are their names? The immune checkpoint inhibitors are a new class of cancer treatment and in New Zealand nivolumab and pembrolizumab are the available PD-1 inhibitor checkpoint therapies. And how do these drugs work, Rosalie? So they focus on the T cell um, response to tumour. So the T cell response to foreign antigen, including tumour, um, involves the interaction of the T cell with the, the antigen, but also relies on um, stimulatory and inhibitory co-signals as part of that interaction. And the immune checkpoint is an inhibitory mechanism um, in the T cell response to cancer or infection. Um, and it essentially creates an immunosuppressive environment in the tumour which down-regulates T-cell function. So we use the analogy of a break, the immune checkpoint being a break or a fend, um, the tumour's ability to fend off the T-cell response, the T-cell activation. So essentially what immune checkpoint inhibitors do um, is put a stop on that break and it's a double negative, but it's a, it's a break on the break. Um, and by binding to the PD-1 um, ligand, for example, um, you then allow and restore T cell um, activation and function. There are different immune checkpoints. So there's not just one ligand and one checkpoint. There are a number of different checkpoints and they operate at different times of the immune response. So I think today we'll focus on the PD-1 checkpoint because I think that's the most clinically relevant but it is important to, to note that there are different immune checkpoints as are different stimulatory um, interactions and some of those stimulatory interactions and checkpoints are being worked on now in the research setting. Thank you Rosalie. So what are the current indications for the immune checkpoint inhibitors? In New Zealand, the current indications are advanced melanoma, advanced lung cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and urothelial cancers, um, essentially bladder cancer. Overseas, there are more registered indications. Um, for example, there, for the first time, there's been a regist FDA registration on the basis not of histology or organ of origin, but on a particular characteristic of tumours which is called microsatellite instability. 
So tumours that exhibit high microsatellite instability, such as some bowel cancers and some endometrial cancers, um, pembrolizumab has been registered for use in those tumours overseas. So we may, may see those coming? We may, we may. The other, uh, the other one I should mention is renal cell cancer because just recently there's been a New England Journal article suggesting that um, PD-1 inhibitor is better than the current standard of care, so I think that might come in the near future as well. So Rosalie, this is a relatively new class of drugs which are coming in to New Zealand. What as general practitioners should we be thinking about when uh, we have patients on these drugs and what are the adverse effects we should be looking for? I think the two key points I'd make here is that um, this is a completely different paradigm to, to cytotoxic chemotherapy treatment. Um, so there is a whole new set of side effects to grapple with and understand. Um, but the second point is that generally these treatments are, are well tolerated. And when studies have compared them to chemotherapy, the side effect profile has been much more favourable. So those are the, the key messages. Um, having said that they are well tolerated, there are um, common <laughs> side effects, and the common side effects are fatigue, itch, rash, and hypothyroidism. And so those are um, issues that we're commonly dealing with in, in the clinic, but also will be dealt with in general practice. And we generally take a, a supportive approach to those common side effects. The half-life of these drugs is long, so those side effects can be very chronic <laughs> and protracted, and it's sometimes that, that they don't settle for a long time after you stop the drug. And for that reason, simply missing out a dose here or there is, is perfectly acceptable. Um, but also doesn't have, often have a huge impact in the short term on, on people's quality of life and side effects. The side effects that we worry about as oncologists are the immune-related side effects. And thankfully, these are rare or less common. And rare, severe immune-related side effects occur in probably 10% of patients treated with the PD-1 inhibitors. And we've now discovered that these drugs can essentially cause inflammatory syndromes in any organ of the body. But the most common organs to be involved are the skin, bowel, lung, and liver. So with skin, uh, there's typically an itchy maculopapular rash on the trunk. Uh, bowels that manifest as colitis, similar to an inflammatory um, bowel disease picture. Pneumonitis um, and hepatitis is something that we often pick up simply on blood tests rather than the patient becoming symptomatic. Um, so for us um, in the hospital, our red flags and what I tell patients are the red flags are um, cough, shortness of breath, diarrhea and anything neurological because I think um, some of the, the inflammatory syndromes we see can present in subtle neurological ways um, and, and we also know that a lot of patients with metastatic melanoma get brain metastases so that's another reason to be vigilant for, for new neurological symptoms. 
Um, the cornerstone, really the key cornerstone of managing these immune-related side effects is recognition. And we can often manage them simply by recognition and stopping treatment rather than putting more of the drug in, into the body. Um, so if we can recognise them early and get on to, to, the, to that sort of algorithm early, that's really helpful. And again, what I tell my patients is that any new symptom means should mean a phone call either to us or to the general practitioner because I think it can be hard for patients to know if something is of significance or not. And that's something that we're still learning as well. And when these drugs were first brought into the clinic, there were patients with pneumonitis or hypophysitis, for example, missed because of the subtlety of presentation and the difficulty in sorting that out from the clinical picture of metastatic melanoma. So I think that can be, the recognition can actually be more difficult than it sounds. If someone has a severe um, immune-related syndrome, we treat them with corticosteroids. So we often use high doses of prednisone. We consider admission to hospital for anyone who's symptomatic. Um, and sometimes we need to consider really serious immunosuppression such as infliximab and mycophenolate. Thankfully, that, that happens rarely. Um, so um, these syndromes are very serious when they occur, um, but they are treatable. And when someone's had such a severe immune syndrome, we tend to permanently discontinue the pembrolizumab or nivolumab because it's, it, there's, there's actually a high risk of recurrence of that side effect if you restart. So the, the, the general practice is to, is to consider stopping permanently um, and using a slow taper of corticosteroids to get people through that, through that syndrome. And again for GPs I think it's helpful to know that people will be on pretty good going doses of steroids for some time. We tend to taper prednisone over at least a month so we do need to have people on prophylaxis for PJP. We do need to consider um, people at risk of diabetes. Bone health is probably less of a concern for us in that we, we don't always know how long these people are going to survive for, but I suspect as the survival for melanoma is sort of accelerating upwards, that is going to be more of an issue. The other thing I would say about steroid use is that we know when we use corticosteroids to treat these inflammatory side effects that we are not compromising the efficacy of the drug. And in fact, people who have these severe immune-related side effects tend to be the responders. Uh, so the, the, the response and the toxicity does seem to go together often. We look out for these side effects. We, we try to be as proactive as possible by giving patients a checklist. So they take home with them a wallet card with a checklist of symptoms to watch out for. Um, and on the back of that wallet card, there is information for health professionals as well. And we monitor um, thyroid function tests, um, cortisol, liver function tests routinely in patients undergoing this treatment and often that's how we find how we find the issue. Another question that comes up quite often is um, concomitant medications and what's safe to prescribe and 
these drugs being monoclonal antibodies means that there's, there's not very many drug interactions at all, which is helpful. But the one thing we do advise against is the flu vaccine or live vaccination. And I see that that's actually been published in the latest um, data sheet on the flu vaccine to GPs that we should be avoiding the PD, avoiding the flu vaccine people treated with PD-1 inhibitors. And that's on the basis of several cases of myocarditis occurring in the, car in the past. And we don't know if there's a definite association, but the advice has been to avoid the va live vaccination unless there's a very compelling reason to do it. That's an excellent practice point. Thank you. In terms of timing, most of the side effects occur within three months of starting treatment. But one can never really relax because late side effects are possible. And uh, the latest documentation has been one year after stopping treatment. So um, I see the side effects as somewhat binary in that most people get the minor side effects and very few get the severe side effects but we must always look out for those severe side effects because they can really occur at any time. <coughs> we were going to talk about Keytruda as well and its treatment for melanoma in New Zealand. I wonder if you could comment. So in New Zealand uh, as of 2016 um, both nivolumab and pembrolizumab were funded for patients with advanced melanoma. Advanced melanoma means patients who ha either have inoperable lymph node disease, which is stage three disease, or metastases to distant organs. And we have special authority criteria for initiation of either treatment. Um, and essentially the criteria are that you have to have measurable disease either by CT scan or by just clinical measurement of the skin and you have to have an adequate or good performance status so you have to essentially be ambulatory but of course you can be symptomatic and many of our patients are. So as clinicians we have the choice of using either drug and to all intents and purposes they are the same, they have the same mechanism of action and the same efficacy data behind them. Um, practically we often choose Keytruda, a pembrolizumab, because it's given on a three-weekly basis as opposed to a fortnightly basis. So we just find that easier to manage in terms of our day stay and, and resource. So Keytruda is given as a, an IV infusion. It takes 30 to 60 minutes and it's given once every three weeks. It needs time to work. These are these are not usually rapidly acting drugs. So we try to give four treatments, three month, a three month block of treatment before we formally assess whether a patient is, is benefiting. So generally these patients will have CT scans, sometimes MRI scans of the brain every three months. And using those scans, we can usually put people into the category quite clearly of responding, getting stabilisation or advancing despite the drug. And I think people, patients declare themselves reasonably early as to which category they're in. There is a minority of patients who, where there's some ambiguity, and this is what we 
called pseudo-progression. This is quite a trendy term at the moment in cancer therapy. It essentially means things look worse, but in fact the patient's responding and with more time will get better. And we think it's because you're getting T-cell infiltrate of tumour, and so they're appearing bigger on CT scans or clinically looking bigger, but they will actually, with a bit more time and more drug, go the other way and start to start to shrink. So um, um, an important sort of practice point for us and for GPs is that we, that we tend to, if there's any doubt about benefit, we tend to carry on. So sometimes that means treating people beyond what we would normally do in terms of a patient with progressive disease, um, just because we have been caught out in the past with this phenomenon of pseudo-progression. What's really great about these drugs is that if you're a responder or even if you have stable disease, um, that is likely to be very durable. And that's where you know harnessing the immune system has such great promise over the cytotoxic approach because we think that there's memory um, and there's sort of the ability of the immune system to spread and respond to new antigens even as that tumour is mutating and evolving. So what most trials have shown um, with these drugs and melanoma is that about 40% of patients get shrinkage, probably another 20, 30, 20 to 30% get stabilisation. So we're looking at you know, somewhere around 60 to 70% of patients getting benefit, and in that majority of patients, that benefit is usually very enduring. And in fact, most clinical trials have not reached a median duration of response or even a median survival time um, because patients are doing so well, providing they're in that responding category. It's quite different for the people who obviously progress despite treatment and that's still a really dire situation for which we don't have great options. And what's hard for us in practice is that we just don't know who's going to respond and who isn't. So we've got no way of telling people until we actually do it. It does seem that people who have a lower volume of disease are more likely to respond. And I'm always a little bit nervous about people who have, who have brain metastases because although these drugs do seem to cross the blood-brain barrier and, and can treat brain, meta brain metastases, they're not as active in the central nervous system and that's often what we find melanoma patients dying of is, is untreatable brain metastases. So I'm always a little bit more guarded um, in terms of discussing prognosis in patients who have brain involvement still. <laughs> um, so the duration of response I think then then leads to the question of well, how long do you continue the drugs for and the registered uh, use of the drug, either nivolumab or um, pembrolizumab, is to use until progression. Now, we've now got statistics telling us that a third of those patients will be alive at the five-year mark, alive and well. So um, do you continue to five years, do you continue to ten years? That's just not very practical. So although that's been the registered um, way to use the drugs, the international and local practice is to consider stopping treatment in patients who've responded really well. And so we tend to stop patients who've had a complete response, so nothing visible on CT scan after a year of therapy. 
and partial responders at two years. There's no obligation to stop. Pharmac don't require us to, the funding doesn't get cut off. And some patients just don't feel comfortable. They see this drug as their lifesaver and they're not willing to stop it. And in that scenario, we, we continue. And we're waiting on more data, really, to tell us what the optimal duration of treatment is. The early available data suggests that patients continue to respond even after the drug has stopped, but we really only have probably about a year of follow-up um, from patients stopping at this point, so it's still early days. In practice, I tell people to consider this as an indefinite therapy, because I don't like to sort of propagate the idea that you can just have a block of treatment and then you're, then you're done. <laughs> this, is, this is an indefinite treatment until we're really confident that we've, we've got control and, and that it might be safe to stop. For general practitioners, I think the key message is that metastatic melanoma now is treatable. And those who respond to the immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy could actually do really well in the long term. So um, this has been a complete shift, really, from the dire, grim prognosis that, that melanoma once had. Patients who are really deteriorating very rapidly are less likely to get the benefit. And that's also changed our practice because we're now actively looking for metastatic disease. Before, we used to be very nihilistic and think, well, what's the point of finding metastases if you can't adequately treat the person? But I would now say that early referral is, is ideal. And because we now have options and decision-making is becoming quite complex, I think all of these patients need to be seen in an oncology centre and discussed in a, in a multidisciplinary meeting so that we can make the right choice for the patient. So I think the key message is you know, we'd, we're happy to see any patient with advanced melanoma um, and consider them for this type of therapy. So Rosalie, I wonder just if you could outline some take-home messages for our listeners today. The number one is that immune checkpoint inhibitors are a completely new paradigm of treating cancer and um, these drugs are having a big impact already in um, patients with advanced melanoma, lung cancer, genitourinary malignancies and Hodgkin's lymphoma and the indications are only going to expand with time. We've had most success with the drug, with the immune checkpoint inhibitor drugs, specifically PD-1 inhibitors in advanced melanoma, and the survival of patients with advanced melanoma has really changed remarkably. The drugs are well tolerated. PD-1 inhibitors cause fatigue, itch, rash, and hypothyroidism, and we need to be on the lookout for the more serious but less common immune-related syndromes. Red flags for patients and GPs are anything neurological, diarrhea, dry cough and shortness of breath and any of those symptoms or indeed any new symptom warrants, uh, warrants consideration of an, of an immune-related side effect 
and those immune related side effects are treatable. Thank you Rosalie, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CME points, please go to our website goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.